0: Whether you're really running New York this weekend or just running up and down the streets in New York like us, you got to stay hydrated. And that means Drink Element. Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run for your free sample pack. I love this stuff. I will refund your $5 shipping if you don't like it. Six flavors for you to try from. It's electrolytes without the junk. comes in super easy to consume packets. You just pop it in your water. No gluten. No sugar. This is just electrolytes. Paleo, keto friendly no dodgy ingredients, vegan-friendly. It tastes great. I love it. Drink element slash Let's Run. Link in the show notes. And if you're into New York, you got to join the Supporters Club to get the Friday second bonus podcast we do every week where we will break down the latest from talking to all the pros in New York. And we shouldn't do this. Don't tell Rojo. But if you use code NYC50, you will save 50% off your first three months or even the yearly subscription where you get the free t-shirt. Do not tell Rojo. Limited time offer ends on Sunday. Let's Run Nation, it's a great day. The 50th New York City Marathon is almost here. Welcome to the special preview edition of the 2021 New York City Marathon. We're gonna break down all the races. The great Ganesi Bekele will finally be on the streets of New York, as will Olympic champion Perez here and world half marathon record holder, Kibiwat Candier. Crew will be back together in person. Rojo, me, and Jonathan all together for the first time since, I don't know when, 2019. But come on, people, you're really happy. The Houston Astros have lost the World Series. It's a wonderful day to talk track and field. I'm Weldon Johnson, Let'sTurn.com co founder, joined by my brother Robert, the one and only Rojo, and the great Jonathan Galt. Welcome, guys.
1: Great to be here, Weldon. Very excited to get the LRC Brain Trust all together on one building. I think our brilliance might cause the building to explode, so we might not have to spend that much time together. Probably just the best interest of humanity, but very good to see the Brothers Johnson this weekend.
2: I hope I'm on my best behavior. During the COVID pandemic, Weldon has scolded me at least two or three times for being unprofessional, losing my temper, and screaming at John over the phone. So, John, I think in person... Kinda Rojo will be there. But this isn't really the preview edition of the podcast. This is the mini preview edition because tomorrow is the real press conference. We're going to get the inside scoop tomorrow. And then on the Friday 15 bonus podcast, we're really going to tell you what's going to happen on Sunday. So if you're not a VIP subscriber, join the Supporters Club now. Go to letsrun.com slash subscribe. Get a free T-shirt. Be notified when people post like Renato Canova, Nick Willis, when they posted a week or two ago, I was instantly notified. Save on shoes. Support independent journalism. Do it now, people. Come on.
0: Yeah, I lied when I said this is a special preview podcast. This is our normal Wednesday podcast. I'm not sure why I said that. So the special New York City podcast will be subscribers only on Friday after – Robert, are you going to be there tomorrow after all three of us talk to the athletes? I'm excited. I haven't been to an in-person event since before COVID. You guys went to the Olympics and then I guess I went to the Olympic trials but
1: yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw Weldon at the Wild Duck after the trials. There were plenty of people around us in person chatting Weldon. Robert, I'm curious. Are you going to talk to Molly Seidel and ask her the question that you've called her a liar on this podcast. Are you going to confront her in person?
0: Johnny's never called her a liar. Never said
1: she's a liar. All right. He's just said he doesn't believe the story she tweeted about the guy who sat next to her on a plane on Twitter not knowing who she was.
0: Those are different things, John.
2: That's that's fake news, John. I have never directly called her a liar. I have offered, I think, $5,000 for the person that supposedly said mean things to her on the plane to come forward. That person has not come forward. I don't believe that the story is as it was described. We actually found someone that was a big fan took photos of her. That's all I'm saying. It seems like that's been confirmed. But no, I don't think I'm going to ask her about it. How do I how does that make me look good? I think she's an amazing story. I just think for some reason I can sniff stuff out. The story just doesn't seem realistic to me at all. So, I think I'm going to keep my mouth shut though and play the PR game and act like nothing happened. People
0: misspeak, they embellish things all the time. I think it's one of those things. It's not a big deal. Rojo could have his opinion. If you'd like $5,000 and you sat next to Molly on a plane and gave her marathon advice, please let us know.
1: Well, I think Robert's making the right decision there, not bringing it up. There are a lot of storylines here. If you look at the elite fields in New York, they're not really all that deep. There's one guy who has run under 206 in the marathon in this field, that is the lowest that we have found since we started tracking the major marath- World Marathon Majors. One sub-206 guy. It's Canaanis Mikaela, the second fastest man ever. So that's pretty interesting. And then you've got two other people in there. Abdi Nagaia, who's run 206. He's the Olympic silver medalist from the Netherlands. And you've got Kibouac Kandye, who is the half-marathon world record holder at 57.32. Obviously, he's someone to watch as well. So there's no shortage of intrigue. But in terms of depth... Men's field is not that deep. Women's field isn't that deep either. You've only got three, four people who have broken 224. But again, the quality is there with Perez Jepchichia, the Olympic champion. Rudy Aga is a former marathon, a world marathon major winner. She's run 218. And then you've got Molly Seidel who's the Olympic bronze medalist. Her PR is only 225. But clearly, she's one of the top women in the world as well. So interesting fields. Don't have incredible depth. What are you guys most interested in watching? What storyline appeals to you the most about Sunday's race?
2: Obviously, the biggest storyline, John, is we're less than 96 hours away before the first Dartmouth alum wins his first World Marathon major in his debut. Ben True making his debut. I can't believe it. Jonathan called me yesterday and said, hey, I spoke to Ray Flynn. Hopefully, this wasn't off the record. And I said, hey, what do you think Ben can run? And he said, oh, between 208 and 210. And John's like, in New York City? And he's like, yeah, why not? His training's
1: been going great. So this is Ray Tracy, Ben's coach, not Ray Flynn, who's an agent who does not represent Ben True.
2: Oh, but, well, I got the names wrong, but you get the gist. Of- they,
1: they are both Irish. They've both lived in the United States for a long time. They ha- represent, you know, Molly, Molly Hoddle and Emily Sisson are both coached by Ray Tracy and represented by Ray Flynn. So I do, I get the confusion, but they are two separate people.
2: And I was quoting somebody that would be sort of biased towards Ben. Well, I guess Ray Flynn wouldn't be, but anyways, people get what I was saying. And if he does do that, as shallow as his field is, it's conceivable he, he would win it. I mean, crazier things have happened. How many women does Shalane Flanagan have to beat when she won? You know, in, what was that, 2017?
1: Yeah. But
2: Anyways, it's kind of interesting. I'm really pumped for the men's field for a number of reasons. One, Bekele in New York City. When Bekele was dominant on the track, I wasn't a big fan. I was a highly fan. Bekele, I took the lust away from Hyley. And I met an Ethiopian journalist. He's like, I don't like Bekele either. He's kind of arrogant. He doesn't, he, he was just so talented. But now I am a huge Bekele fan. I've always thought somebody who's great at World Cross is the greatest cross country runner ever would Excel in New York. And this is keeping him in the game. He's motivated. He ran pretty well in Berlin a few years ago, a few weeks ago. So what can he do? But there's question marks about him. we got the other the silver medals coming back from the Olympics. So both of them are running their second marathon in a number of weeks. They could be off their game. Then all you've got really is Candier as a super stud. World half marathon record holder debut. That's pretty cool. So there's some cool storylines there that really appeal to me.
1: Yeah and one other guy worth noting is Albert Corea his PR is only 2803 but he was second in New York in 2019 so I think he's a potential winner but then you look at the rest of the elite list I mean they've got you've got Gourmet Gebreslasie he was the 2017 sorry 2016 champ in New York but he's kind of fallen off the face of the earth like he hasn't really done a ton since then so I'm not confident you're going to get anything from him and then after that the next, the fourth seed is Eob Fanyol. Do you do, does anyone has anyone ever heard of that guy before? He ran for he runs for Italy. He was twentieth at the, the Olympics, so he's coming back. And then after that, Albert Correa, and then you get to Noah Drotty, two hundred nine oh nine. Who so? I don't know. I kind of I don't trust Michele to be honest. Like he's running his second marathon in six weeks. This is a guy who famously drops out of a lot of races, has struggled to stay healthy. Now, he did run 206 in Berlin. That's a decent showing, but that doesn't, I'm not confident he's going to be able to bounce back and finish this race or do anything great six weeks later. And like you said, Robert, I I think Abdi Nagai, I feel bouncing back from the Olympics. I mean, we just saw his training partner, Bashir Abdi, ran 203 in Rotterdam last weekend. And he was the silver. Bashir was the bronze medalist, and Abdi was the silver medalist. So I feel pretty confident about his ability to bounce back. I think it's probably him, Koecher, or or Condier is the the guys I'd be looking at.
0: It's crazy. This field really is weak. I mean, I'm excited about it, but we've had some of these issues with some of the other marathons this fall. If a couple of the favorites falter, it may not be that impressive a race. But if the K if we can just get a B, Bekele, if Candier is actually a marathoner, we just need a couple guys, but there's just not depth. Like I, I'm kind of shocked New York just doesn't go invite a bunch of couple 206 guys. I, I don't know. New York likes to sort of craft the storylines. 206 isn't even that fast. Excuse me, a bunch of like 204 guys. But, man, I'm just kind of crazy looking at this field. When you, when you look at the PRs on... The list, John, it's just sort of shocking to see number three at 207 in the the modern era. Now, you know, you have Candier, you have Mackinac, who's a 60 flat half-marathoner. But that's not even that great these days, making his debut. It's kind of crazy, yet I'm I'm still very excited about this race. But I think that's one good thing we do is we we show those tables, and, you know, the numbers don't lie. This race is not that deep. And there's probably a lot of que- There's always the question marks with can B, right, when he runs the marathon. The good thing for me, actually, is that he ran Berlin at last – well, not last month, two months ago now because he's kind of had a problem. He's older with his training, but that shows he was fit then, and I'm like, okay, well, give him a couple of weeks rest, have him come back, and I'll let him take his chances. I-, I would be more worried about this race if he hadn't run that, actually which is crazy.
1: No, I I agree with you because yes, he's got 26 miles of hard running in his legs, but he actually got through it in one piece and you got the super shoes, which makes it easier to recover between races. I mean, we saw Galen Rupp, he got, you know, eighth at the Olympics and then eight or nine weeks later, he gets second in Chicago, Ruth Chepengedich dropped out of the Olympics. She wins Chicago. I mean, six weeks. That's a tight turnaround. Um, I, I think I'm a little bit more concerned about Mikayla than you are, Weldon, but I do agree. Like, I think finishing that race is a good sign for him. The other thing that I think is interesting, I mean, we talked about Condier and his potential for the win. We saw this very similar storyline play out two years ago with Jocelyn Jepkoz in the women's race in New York. She was the half marathon world record holder, just like Kibbutz Condier. She makes her debut in New York, just like kibbutz Kanye, And she wins the race. She takes down Mary Katani, the legend of New York. And now she's firmly established herself as one of the best marathoners in the world. She won London. So we've seen it happen fairly recently. And I think I was talking to Kanye's agent, Johnny DeMadonna, a couple days ago about, you know, why do you choose New York for a debut? And he pointed out, well, the thing that they liked about it Is that there weren't pacemakers. He thought if you're just throwing him into a race where it's going to be 203, 204 straight away, which ironically, none of the majors, I mean, other than London, have been like that this fall. They've been a little bit on the slower side. But he's like, look, if it's like that, you know, it's hard to ask a guy in his debut to go out and run that fast, which I, you know, you can take issue with that line of thinking, maybe. But he basically is like, New York, I think it's probably not going to go out super fast for the first half. And then if you can sort of just make it into a shorter race, like look at Benson kip he He made a huge move, you know, with about 35K, and that's kind of what won him, won him the race in Boston a few weeks ago. And Johnny was basically saying, if you can do the same sort of thing and you re- make it just like a really fast second half, that helps a guy who's coming from the half marathon as opposed to going from the gun. That was their line of thinking, at least. And the, the other interesting thing he told me, now I know you guys get mad at me for burying the lead, so I'm going to come out and say this, and it'll also be in our preview article that I write. He admitted that he, Kanye's not 100% healthy. He's had a knee issue dating back to the Kenyan cross-country championships back in February. That's why he didn't run the Kenyan Olympic trials on the track. He wanted to run the 10,000, but he wasn't ready to run. He got back to training in July, but he said, look, he's been... He's had pain during this buildup. He thinks he's pretty fit. He ran 26.53 or so on the roads in a 10K a few weeks ago. So clearly he's in shape, but he said after this race, we're going to have to evaluate and see what we do because, you know, his knee has still been bothering him.
2: So lots of question marks about these top male contenders. The question I have is what will this mean for Kenanise Bekele's reputation if he wins this race going forward? I mean, already the greatest world cross country runner in history, arguably the greatest track runner in history. If he wins this, does this solidify him as the goat, the greatest of all time? He will. He will increase his world marathon majors victory total by fifty percent. He's only won two majors. I don't know if "only" is the right word for that, but it's not that many. He's won Berlin twice, both in super fast times. He's missed the world record when he won those two races by a combined six seconds. I think he missed it. By four seconds in 2016, and two seconds in in that two hundred one forty one race, so pretty amazing. So I, I definitely think this will help him sort of, you know, in the debates for the years to come, as to you know, can someone surpass him as the greatest of all time if he wins here today?
1: I mean, I mean technically, it helps him, but I don't know. I already view him as the greatest of all time. I don't. See, winning New York is cool. I think it's a cool achievement at the age of 39. Coming back again, this is a guy, two years, two years basically passed since his last good marathon that he comes out of the woodwork again and to win a major at 39 in New York on a tough course. Yeah, it's a cool achievement, but I don't see this changing his legacy all that much. I mean, Kip- Kipchoge is the greatest marathon ever and Bekele is never going to get that title from him though i guess one thing this will be interesting robert you want to see kenney sorry you want to see kipchoge win all the majors and the one thing you've you've said is that he's never won on sort of a hilly technical course like boston or new york if bikelay wins new york and let's say kipchoge shows up and tries to run new york next year and fails does that change your thinking vis-a-vis you know those two guys in the marathon
2: a little bit That's why I think it'd be great. What if Bekele throws down, what is it, 5th Avenue, whatever it's called, you know, throws down an epic performance. The New York City, the U.S. gets to see the world's greatest runner winning with an epic slot down of the field over the last 10K. And then if he wins, he's much more likely to come back next year as the defending champion. Could Kip Choge come to New York next year? I bet he likely does London in the fall, unfortunately, but it would be really cool to see them Clash here in New York, you know, and I think that would motivate Bakili. because my only my biggest concern about Bakili moving forward is the motivation. Like he's obsessed with getting that world record, but he's probably not never going to get it. I want to see him come back to New York. I want to see him do Boston. I want to see these guys on the American courses. I'm biased for sure, but I want to see them in the non-rabbited races. I, I, I know what they can do in rabbited races.
1: No, Robert, I, I agree. I think it's great to have Bekele running in the United States. You know, He ran Chicago in 2014, and then he's you know mostly been in Europe and Dubai for the rest of the marathon since then. But your scenario you just suggested, that's what I'm – now I, I think I want Bekele to win because if Bekele wins – and Kipchoge has said he wants to win all six majors. I really don't see what he has to gain by going back to London next year. I know he likes running London, but if he says he wants to run all the majors, he needs to go to New York next fall. And if Bekele is the defending champion, they're going to want him to come back. And that would be that would just be a prize fight right there. We would hype it up again. Kipchoge would probably win again because that's always what he does. But one loss, Kipchoge-Bekele battle, New York City 2022. Oh, that'd be amazing. So I, I want that scenario to come to fruition.
0: All this Bekele talk got me thinking of Haile Gebreselassie. John takes it for granted that Bekele is the GOAT. I don't know. Maybe we'll discuss that a bit. But it reminded me, I was there when Hyo E.G. retired. This was in 2010. I had to look up the year. He dropped out of the race, came into the press room, and just on the whim said he's retiring. He took it back like all the greats do. You're not a great athlete in individual sport unless you retire and then unretire. It shows you got the ego necessarily to be the best. So – And then I was looking it up. I'm like, wait, he did some good stuff after that. And actually, he didn't. This is 2010. He then came back in 2011, DNF'd in Berlin. 2012, he ran 208 in Tokyo for fourth. And then DNF'd in Fukuoka in 2012. I think he then finally retired in 2015. But, John, I'm seeing here in Wikipedia... Haile G has two marathon world records. I don't think Kenenisa Bekele has any. Broke the world record twice. The great Haile Gibber selassie
1: That's true. And how many world cross-country titles does Haile Geber-Selassie have?
0: How many times did he run it, John?
1: At least once.
0: <laughs> fair point, fair point.
1: Like, Bekele, Bekele ran significantly faster than, Kipcho- than uh, Gibber selassie ever did in the marathon. Granted, he has super shoes, but...
0: And Oh, also as a former New York resident. Oh, by the way, the state of New York, I didn't live in New York last year. Can I get my ta- damn tax refund back? Like I sent you all the documentation and they said it can take 120 days. I, I want that money now. Like you're stealing my money. Someone check into this, please. Thank you.
1: Well, wow, well done with a drive by on the New York, New York IRS, but but, I'm no, curious.
0: Robert said Fifth Avenue. You run up First Avenue in New York. I feel like people who live in like Iowa know that. No offense, Eric Web guy, who lives in Iowa. But it's First Ave. The Fifth Avenue Mile is a different race, Robert.
2: I knew it didn't sound right, but that's why I kind of tried to pause. Normally, John hops in there and says you it.
1: You know, I was. I didn't hear a pause. I was ready to correct you there, and I didn't hear a pause. So sorry, Robert.
2: Well. It's good to know, folks. It's true. Weldon doesn't live in New York City, nor does the new mayor of New York City. So it's all fun and games. John, congratulations, though, in Boston. Well, I guess you no longer live in Boston. You live in a suburb of Boston. Folks, for the first time in history, Boston has elected not a white male as the mayor. So the liberals are finally living up to their values a little bit in Boston. I always like to make fun of the Boston for being the most racist city in the country. But anyways.
1: You like doing that? That's fun for you, Robert?
2: Well, I just I don't like to be preached upon from the Northeast Elite and then I'm like, Boston, why don't you get your house in order? So it's good to see that you're getting your house in order.
1: You don't think you're part of the Northeast Elite, Robert?
2: <laughs> no, no, John. I'm Baltimore. We're we're a southern northeastern Middle Atlantic town. Anyways, we'll talk politics on the Friday fifteenth, not really. John, earlier in the, in the show intro, I talked a little bit, kind of half-jokingly, about how Ben True is going to make you proud and become the first Dartmouth alum to win the New York City Marathon. It is going to be his debut. He's going to try to overcome his disappointment of not making the Olympics again. He's got to be one of the fastest Americans ever to make an Olympic team. But if he wins New York, everybody, that will be forgiven. But he's not the only American in this race. Um, there's two guys with sub-210 PBs, two more with sub-212. And then I think four total after that under two fourteen. Noah Drady leads the list in terms of guys who have run a marathon P- P- PR a marathon before at two o nine o nine. Olympian Jared Ward two o nine twenty five is in there. Nathan Martin, the unheralded guy two eleven o five for ninth in the marathon project last year. Elcona Quebec, two eleven thirty one. Shadrick Biwak, Kevin Lewis, Brian Shader, and John Ranieri all have broken two fourteen as well. Of these guys we'll probably try to talk to some of them tomorrow, but what do we know? What can we expect from them?
1: So, so what the interesting thing about this is two of the most intriguing guys. So you got the fastest guy in the field and then the most intriguing debut in terms of Americans, Noah Dradi and Ben true. Neither of them have sponsors as of this moment, which is pretty interesting. I would say two Oh nine Oh nine guy. And then Ben true, obviously you know, fourth at the Olympic trials, but I, I don't know what to expect. I mean, Noah Girardi. So he, he started working a full-time job. He, I talked to him yesterday and he said his training has been going pretty well, but he's now a warehouse manager uh, out in Colorado for SOS hydration. And so, you know, he's on his feet a little bit, but he's basically said it took me a little bit to get into the rhythm of running before work then working. And then, you know, working out again in the afternoon uh, after he's done with work, but you know, he's, he's never done a buildup like this. He's always been a sponsored pro for his marathons, So, that's a little interesting for him. Uh, I honestly I haven't really talked to any of the other guy, the other Americans, uh, about their training or anything. I am interested, I mean, Jared Ward, he's been the top American in New York City the last two times this race was held in 2018 and 2019. He was sixth in both of them. But since then he hasn't really done much. The Olympic trials, he was only twenty-seventh, then he was seventeenth in London last fall. and he was thirty-fifth at the Marathon Project in two sixteen. So I'm kind of curious to see what's up with him. he We know he's got the talent, but the last year has not been very well. He was only sixteenth at the u s twenty k championships back in September. So can he get back on a you know on a course where he's had success in the past? And then these other guys, I mean, I assume one of them will run well, but you know if you look at like Nathan Martin and Kevin Lewis, they're both guys who ran PBs at the marathon project, but they're not really household names or anything like that. Elkanah Kebat and Shadrach B-Watt. Shadrach B-Watt's had success in New York as well. He's been top 10 three times, but he hasn't run a good marathon in three years. And then one guy I'm interested in is Brian Schrader, because if you remember last year, he's the guy who led the first half of the Olympic marathon trials. He got that big lead and he ended up dropping out, but the fact he was confident that he could run, you know, I think around 209 on that course, you know, he, he went for it. So, if he has that kind of belief, I'm just kind of interested to see what he can do in this race as well. And then John Raniere, you know, he he's also, he's been training pretty well in flag stuff. I remember last year he was doing the, he did like what the treadmill half marathon world record and he ran it in flag stuff or something like that. I don't know what his training has been like for that build up. So yeah, what I'm saying, Robert is this is a pretty wide open race for top American like Ben true if his buildups goes well, like Ray Tracy told me his buildup's been going well. He's very pleased with how he's adapted to it. He thinks it's been good for his body because the track training was really beating him up. Remember Ben's 35 years old at this point. So he actually thinks he's, he's been able to stay in one piece better with marathon training than track training. But again, it's his debut.
2: It's going to be really interesting, but you know, I mean, some of these guys, you know, you talked about Brian Schrader, but he was only 12th at new Haven 20 K. Why would I expect anything from him? Jared Ward, if he doesn't run well, are we sticking a fork in him? I mean, to be honest, seriously, like, what has he done that's really significant? And, but if Ben True is the top American, really runs well as top three or four in this thing, it's gonna make me wonder has he been in the wrong event the wrong time? I mean, I never viewed him sort of as a guy that was better the longer he got, but maybe he has. He just, he never liked the 10K on the track. It was boring to him, but he was pretty good at it. But this is a guy that's been training alone for much of his career. The grind of the marathon is not, if he's not in a pack, I don't think it's going to bother him. He's used to that. So it really would be interesting if this is his event, if he does really well, I'm going to think, wow, he should have been running the marathon the entire time, his entire career.
1: I'm not going to think that. I mean, this is a guy who was sixth in the world in the 5,000 meters in 2015. You know, he's made multiple U.S. world championship teams. Okay, he didn't win a U.S. title on the track, but he's never going to be close to sixth in the world in the marathon. So, look, his best event was the 5K. He happened to coincide in a pretty strong era for the United States in the 5K. Guys like Bernard Legat, Galen Rupp, Paul Chalimo. But I don't think he's gonna. Be, we're going to be like, oh my God, he should have been in the marathon the whole time. He had a very good long career in the 5,000 meters and was one of the best in the world.
2: But never an Olympian.
1: Okay. Is he going to be an Olympian in the marathon, Robert?
2: John, I'm not sure if he would have been an Olympian in the marathon. And I feel a little bad for bringing that up, but that's just kind of how that Joe Public judges runners. But it's so arbitrary. I mean, I doubt Ben True as a Mainer, guy that lives up in the Northeast, was a, a Donald Trump supporter. But I mean, I only say that because of the immigration laws in the sense of Ben True would have been an Olympian like 30 years ago before all these... Runners that were born in Africa became U.S. citizens. I mean, 2016, he's fifth, but look who beat him. And the top three were all born in Africa: Bernard Lagat, Hassan, Mead, Paul Cholimo. And America is the land of immigrants. I'm not. Don't, don't misunderstand me, but I'm just saying, like, with our immigration policies in the 1960s, Bencher certainly would have been an Olympian. So uh, it's a unfortunate way we're judged. Runners are judged, but you know, I had to bring it up.
1: So what do you expect? Do you think he'll be a good Marathoner?
2: I didn't until you told me that the coach thought he was going to run between 208 and 210. So it's got me more interested.
0: I mean, immigration
2: policies.
0: There's just ebbs and flows with talent when someone's Olympian, when there's not. You can't, I mean, everything isn't done in a perfect environment. Ben is not an Olympian. He's not going to be an Olympian. I'll get it out there. This race, a good run with this field, you better be top three, I think, in my book. And as we're talking about this field, I think there's some chances for the Americans to do well because there's not a lot of depth. But if guys who are totally unsponsored are in the top three at New York City, is that an indication of how well they ran? You can't, you're not going to be able to get top three unless you run well, right? I mean, there's just no way around it because there's, you know, like some. Guy like the guy who was eleventh place at the Olympics is in this field. He's better than Noah Drani,
1: right? Well, I think it's also an indication. Like Nell Rojas was, she was sixth in Boston. She's unsponsored,
0: right? And is that a life earth shattering run? I don't think so.
1: No, it's a good run. You know, I think you get, but getting third. Getting third, still Yeah, you're still going to have to run a very, very good race to finish on the podium as an American here. What I do think is interesting, though, is Robert said earlier, you know, Noah majority he wanted to run the world, and then USATF comes out with this criteria saying, actually, we're basing it off of full marathon results and not off of the descending order list, which he would have made it in off of. But there is still a chance for an American to get on that team because right now, the two guys on the team behind Galen Rupp uh, Colin McAl who was sixth in Chicago, and Colin Benny who was seventh in Boston. So, if an American finishes sixth in this race, they would bump Colin Benny off. And I think it's very possible, given the, you know, the lack of total studs near the top of the race, to have an American finish sixth place, and that would put them in the driver's seat for one of those. World Championship Marathon spots. So I Noah Drotty, you know, talking to him, that's still something he wants to do. He wants to finish. If he's top American, he has a good chance to be in the top six and that will put him on the team.
2: Interesting points. I mean, it's just, it gets back though to the whole thing of how ridiculous is it that USATF announces the qualification system saying that only three races are going to count. By the way, two of the races are already over. There's nothing you can do about it. It just doesn't make any sense at all. It's It's like, they don't want to acknowledge the fact that runners like to try to, like, qualify, know what's available to them when they qualify instead of – it sounds like they just want to pick these runners based on these arbitrary criteria. And it's not easy when you don't have a trials race. I get it. Have you guys seen the Japanese system that's come out? It's, like, multiple pages long. And what they're doing is kind of using a – they've kind of created their own marathon ranking, whereas you get points – it's kind of like a combination of the World Athletics track rankings – but for the marathon, you get points based on how fast you run, like on a scoring table. But then you get bonus points if it's for how high you place. And you get more points if you're running in the Japanese races. It's literally like a 20-page document to how they're going to pick their world championship team. But I don't really care how you pick the team. Well, I do. But the most important thing to me is announce it on day one of the qualifying process. You don't announce it sixty when it's when two thirds of the races are over and we're 63 60% through the qualifying window. So uh, we wrote an art, John wrote an article about that on the website. If you haven't seen it, it's just unacceptable. Uh, you know, in my opinion, that went, went, went on there.
0: With this world championship qualifying, New York's going to be slower probably. So you need to finish sixth. I think there's a decent chance an American could finish sixth, but I don't know. When you look at it, t- times aren't everything. Noah Drady, I guess Marathon Project, it's super fast, but you kind of almost have to, have to adjust for that course. Jared Ward has the pedigree, but is he way past this prime? You guys are talking about Brian Schrader because he ran the first half of the Olympic trials? Like That doesn't really mean anything to me. Ben True, obviously, has the pedigree. A cool story would be Nathan Martin. He's the fastest African American, black American
1: marathoner ever. But that's 211.05. American born, right? I mean, because obviously, Obdi and Meb are faster than him.
0: Fair point, Sean. Fair point.
1: African American. I guess that terms out, right? Because Yeah. And Kanuchi, what... I forgot the American record holder is African American as well.
0: <laughs> Three years ago, you know, I think that you sometimes would use the word black and I was called a racist. And now that's gone. And African-American in the running sense is so wrong because Meb, Canucci, and who? Legat. They are like legit African-American, right? Like born in Africa and live in America. So at least that term can mean what it, what it makes more sense to mean. Um, but Nathan, Moore, Nathan Martin, the fastest black-born American marathoner. And the race for the first time ever has a black race no, director ted metellus
2: he, he's not the fastest black born american marathoner meb and bernard legato are all black born you mean american born black marathoner <laughs> for the record correction there
1: robert with the issuing a rare correction usually he's the one who's he's the correct d not the correct tour
0: i guess it's almost 210 it's crazy how you can put so much emphasis on the time they run but, John, you were telling this off the line. Akira Tomoyasu, name we have not mentioned on this broadcast, I don't think. He's got a 210-29 PB. That's the ninth fastest in the field. And he finished in what place in that race, John?
1: So, yeah, it's funny. I so saw him like, oh, 210 from Japan, all right. I mean, he's not one of Japan's best guys, but that's solid. And I look up where he ran his two ten twenty nine. He ran it earlier this year at the late B1 Marathon. He finished in 46th place. Can you can you imagine running 210 and finishing 46th? It's just, in, I forgot how insanely deep that race was.
0: And that just sort of shows, like, we're talking about Nathan Martin. He went in an American-only race. I mean, there was a couple, I guess, Canadians, right, last year? He gets ninth in that. And now we're talking him d- about doing well in the New York City Marathon? No, it shouldn't happen. So... That's all I got to say about the men.
1: Lot, my final thought, Augustine Choge, he's making his quote unquote debut for like probably the, it seems like the fourth or fifth time at this point. He's a 144, 800 guy. He won one of the greatest races of all time. The 2006 Commonwealth games, 5,000 over Craig Mottram. And, you know, it'd be kind of cool to see what a 144 guy he's run 59, 32 in the half. I always really thought, you know, he might be able to do something, but I think he's either dropped out or withdrawn from like two or three debuts at this point. So I'm not really holding my breath on him, but kind of interesting. He's a guy who's trained with both Rudisha and Kipchoge during his career. But other than that, I think we can move on to the women's field. And clearly perez Jepchiachia is the favorite here. The Olympic champion, she's just been on absolute tear starting in 2020. She set two women's only world records in the half marathon including winning the world half she ran 217 16 in valencia one of the fastest times ever and then she won the olympics this year taking down bridget guy who had been basically unbeatable in the marathon so she's had 13 weeks between the olympics and new york i think that's plenty of time and it's interesting because she is going to be going trying to do something that has not been done since Frank Shorter did it 49 years ago. And that is being an Olympic champion and then win a full marathon after the Olympics in the same year. There's only been one woman who's ever even tried to do this. This This was Constantina Dida of Romania in 2008. She ended up fourth in Chicago. And a few men have tried it over the years. But no one has done no one's won both since Shorter. He won the Olympics in seventy-two, and then he won Fukuoka later that year in December. So I think Perez Gypsy can be the first person to do it. She's the clear favorite for me.
0: That's a crazy stat. Has anyone come back to from winning worlds to win
1: a fall major? I did not dig into the details on that one. I'm just sort
0: of shocked it hasn't happened
1: what I was shocked was, is that no one even has tried it recently. Like 2016, like and since 1996, when Josiah Thugwane, he won the Olympics for South Africa. And then he DNF'd in Fukuoka. Only one person, man or woman has even tried to double back. And now a couple of that is because like, you know, 2000, 2000 in Sydney, the marathon was like in late September, early October. It wasn't really feasible to do, but I think we know Kipchoge, he doesn't like running more than two marathons in a year. He's won the last two Olympics. So yeah, just going for something cool. And I think with the gap, 13 weeks, that's pretty feasible for her to bounce back. Uh, again, I was talking to Johnny Demedona, who's her agent as well. No, on Demidonna, he's had a very successful full marathon season. <laughs> he had the men's and women's marathon winners in London and in Boston and in Amsterdam. And he's got arguably two of the favorites in New York with Jep Chia Chia and Candier. So it'd be kind of a cool, you know, very, very profitable fall season for Johnny DeMadonna. But he told me about Jep Chia Chia that, look, she took a couple of weeks off to attend some functions. She got she had an audience with the Kenyan president. Then she had a couple weeks to get back into the swing of things. Then she had sort of seven, eight weeks of serious marathon training. And he said, when you're, when you're Chia Chia, that's enough. And I agree with him.
2: Well, you act shocked that no one's tried it but again it's because most of them are celebrating and have had a career-defining accomplishment so you know it kind of makes sense but if she doesn't win i mean you've got three other women with, with pbs under 220 one of them at least 41 years old but rudy aga to me would be most likely to win it um third in 2019 2019 tokyo champ she was fifth in the ethiopian trials earlier this year so we know she's in decent form, ran 220 last year in Valencia. It was only like seventh. So and then you've got another 220 women Earlier in the show, I asked, you know, when Shalane Flanagan, Shalane Flanagan won, who did she beat? There actually, it was a similar year to this year. There was three women in the field with PBs under 220. Flanagan was fourth at 221 14, and then Mamita Daska had run 221 59. So there was five women under 222, whereas this year's field has four women under 221. And then you've got Molly Seidel um, at, you know, her PB is only 225-13, but she is the Olympic bronze medalist.
1: My question, this is something I pondered in the preview, could Molly Seidel win New York? And I kind of think it's possible. I think she'd need a similar situation to what Shalane had in 2017. You need to catch some breaks. Obviously, Jep Chia Chia would have to run poorly. And I don't think that's going to happen. But If that happens and then the pace goes a little slow, you know, I think that helps Molly. She's a woman who she's run all of her marathons have had pretty shitty conditions or been really tough. Like Atlanta was really hilly and windy London where she ran her personal best, super rainy. And then the Olympics it's hot and humid. So the, I guess the thing that's working against her kind of, ironically, is that it looks like it's going to be really good conditions for running in New York on Sunday. I feel like it was really tough. That would probably help her even more. But, yeah, if this thing... If it's a 225 or 226 race, and Jeff Chichi is not out way in front of everyone, I think there's a possibility she could win, but I don't expect it to happen. Are you guys going to mock me for this opinion? Because I was mocked when I suggested that she could medal at the Olympics, but... I think the thing about Molly is she just keeps sort of exceeding our expectations. No, one even considered her th- to make the Olympic team. And then she made it. And then no, no, even really considered her to medal in the Olympics and she medals. So she keeps raising that ceiling. I-, I think she's the only American I could realistically see winning this race on Sunday.
2: No, I disagree with that because first of all, she's going to need help to win it. There's literally only, if you look at this realistically, there's only really four foreign women that should win this race. And we've mentioned them all. Pereschip chip, but she's got a question mark. Why? she's bouncing? been celebrating in Kenya with the president and only been training for seven to eight weeks. She bounces back from the Olympics. Rudyaga hasn't run a marathon all year. Her only race result was the fifth at the Ethiopian Trials. Hilalia Johannes was 11th at the Olympics behind Seidel, so we really expect her to beat Seidel. She's 41 years of age. And then Ababel Yashashana of Ethiopia. She ran 64.31 and a half last year, but hasn't raced since November of 2020. So I've got question marks all of them. If she doesn't win, if one of them doesn't win, then it's going to be, by default, almost has to be an American. I mean, you've got a 226 Mexican. You've got a couple two twenty six 226 Japanese person. you get got Lanny Manchin of, of Canada, 228. But so... <laughs> I don't think they do this intentionally, but these elite fields are weak up both on the men's and women's sides. I mean, we were wondering this in Chicago, like, could an American win almost by default? And we sort of criticized New York for not doing what Boston does, which is throw a couple, an extra four or five, you know, <laughs> throw out 10, 15, $20,000, whatever it costs to get them to show up to get a couple random Africans just so you have more depth. But from a PR marketing standpoint, do they almost want this to happen? Like, I, it's one of the reasons why we published this list because of how many elites are starting these races because I don't want an, an American winning just because nobody else shows up. These fields are interesting enough to me that I'm not going to rip them for that. It's a fall when there's a lot of marathons going on. It's harder to get the deep fields. But I'm hoping down the road that New York still wants to be truly an elite field. And you guys talked about the first black race director... New York also has its first Princeton. The head of Princeton grad is the new head of the New York Roadrunners. Um, Karen Hemple. I think she was a soccer player, Princeton. She's pretty interesting. So I, I don't think she's gonna turn this into a glorified charity run. That's always my fear but some of these majors is just gonna become like a charity run. I mean, despite playing being a soccer player for most of her life, she's taken up running. She ran a two forty two marathon in two thousand twelve. She just won a marathon somewhere, John, in Massachusetts, in two fifty two a few weeks ago. So she's not even she's close to forty years of age and still running strong. So she's obviously someone that values elite running. I hope these fields get a little bit stronger in the years to come.
1: Yeah, we should mention you mentioned first black like, race director Robert. We didn't really mention him because we didn't say his name. It's Ted Metellus. So it's kind of interesting because it's been a year of upheaval at the New York Road Runners. A lot of the people, you know, Michael Caporaso, the CEO. Is gone. Uh, a lot of the key figures there have, have departed because, in part, because of the you know their their allegations of you know people not being promoted or not getting their work promoted because of their race. You know, it's been a rough year for New York Roadrunners. But it is interesting your theory about like I don't think they're setting it up to, to like give an American a chance to win because they still you know I don't think the fields are quite as barren as Chicago, but. What I think New York is doing this year is what they usually do. They chase some very interesting storylines and some big names. So if you're getting the Olympic marathon champion to double back after running the Olympics, that's not that's going to be expensive. If you're getting Kennedy Bekele to run your race, that's going to be kind of expensive. They're putting their budget at Kibwat Kandye, the half marathon world record holder to make his debut. That's going to be expensive too. So you're sacrificing some depth to get some stories that people are going to be talking about. And I don't fault them for that approach. I think same thing with Chicago. They had Sarah Hall and Galen Rupp. That costs some money to get them to run your race. But guess what? It gives us a storyline to talk about. So I don't totally fault them for the lack of depth. I'd like to see it a little more. We did see, like, in Boston, did anyone think Diana Kipioke was going to be the champion? Did I have her on any of my previews thinking, oh, this is a real star? No, but she was one of those added depth runners who came out And now it looks like she could be a marathon star. So it's nice to have that. But it's also nice to have the Olympic champion. It's nice to have Molly Seidel. It's nice to have this incredible women's American field that we'll get to in a minute. So it's kind of pick and choose, but I I don't totally fault them for the way they constructed this field.
2: Oh, I agree. I mean, we've certainly had fun talking about it. And it's actually more fun to talk about this race ahead of time than it is Boston. Boston was impossible to break down because it was just there's so many random like 206, 207 222 women, you know, men and women. So it, it was hard to break down. So I, I'm excited for it.
0: Yeah, Robert, I don't think he meant it to go that way, but almost at some point it sounded like this was a glorified charity run. You got the Olympic champion. You got the Bekele. You have two former World Half Marathon record holders. Ababel Yashana, the 6431 woman, that was the world record when she ran it. So, but I, the fear is like, with four sort of like quality women throw inside Seidel as well, five on the women's side. Um, I mean, Sally like in here as well. You know, is that enough numbers? You just don't want to have a race where like the top four all falter. And then your fifth doesn't even run that well and wins it because there's nobody else. And I don't think that'll happen. But when looking at it, you kinda of go through the scenarios and you're like, okay, could the worst case scenario happen? That I think that's our concern. But good storylines here for sure. And John, I swear I mentioned Ted Metellus' name when we we were talking about Nathan Martin.
1: I maybe you did. Uh I didn't remember you specifically saying his name, but yeah, we we've given him his recognition now. With, so
0: with, with all the pausing on, on our this podcast, we've had some.
1: People don't understand that. Like behind the scenes, we've taken like five or six pauses, but hopefully with the magic of editing, it's going to sound perfect and that we were just jabbering along the entire time. So let's talk about this American feel because we talked about some of the top women. Like I think Molly Seidel, she's got an outside shot at winning, but she's also by no means a lot to be the top American. If you remember, she's run three marathons. She's only been the top American in one of them. She got beat by Sarah Hall in London last year. And she got beat by Alephine Tuliamuk at the trials. And initially, this race was basically just going to be a trials rerun, which is awesome because the trials was an awesome race. Unfortunately, Alephine Tuliamuk has had to withdraw. She's still, you know, dealing with the injury that she had in Sapporo. Emily Sisson has had to withdraw. And earlier this week, Des Linden, who ran Boston, clearly didn't run that well at Boston, you know, not totally healthy. She said her training was going to have to go perfect for her to double back and run New York, and it did not go perfect. So she's out as well. But even with those three big names, you've still got Molly Seidel. You've got Kellen Taylor. You've got Sally Kipiego, who is an Olympian, 17th of the Olympics. You've got Laura Thweet, who is fifth at the trials. You've got Stephanie Bruce. So that's five of the top seven finishes at the Olympics. Five of the top eight finishes at the Olympic trials from last year. That's still really exciting from an American's perspective. And I don't know, I think I have to lean with Seidel, but is that someone he feel strongly about who could who could take it down and finish as top American on Sunday?
2: Yes, John, Sally Kipiego What's my favorite saying? Talent doesn't go away. I said heading into the Olympics, she was the only American women's marathoner with a medal shot with the talent to win a medal. Obviously that prediction was not proven to be correct, but She's won a medal before on the track. She's a big talent. She's, you know, it took her a long time to come back from giving birth, but why wouldn't she be better now than she was at the Olympics? You know, 17th at the Olympics isn't horrific. She was second in New York in 2016. If she can regain that type of form, I think she could be certainly on the podium here and in the top American.
1: Yeah, you never quite know what to expect from Sally Capiego. She hasn't raced since the Olympics, which, I mean, that makes sense. So, yeah, seventeenth I thought was was solid enough run, and I discounted her ahead of the trials. I'm not going to make the same mistake. I think she could absolutely beat Seidel. I'd still, I guess. What I'm asking is, would any of you bet against Molly Seidel? Like if I I ask you your top American pick, are you both picking Seidel, or are you picking someone else?
0: i no reserve judgment until after I talk them, but I could easily pick somebody else. I mean, one, you can just run a bad marathon. Two, she may not be recovered from the Olympics. You know, I don't think she's 100% to pick somebody else. But that run at the Olympics, it raised her in class above everybody else. Before, I would have said, oh, I mean, because at the trials, she actually wasn't, you know, she really actually wasn't that far ahead of, like, Stephanie Bruce, who, oh, 227 PB, it's easy to sort of overlook her. But, or Kellen Taylor, you know, that sort of talent. I would have kind of said, oh, they're almost all the same talent level. After the bronze at the Olympics, then you start reassessing Seidel's career differently and i'm like wow she's an a-plus marathoner for on the american scale and when i start doing that i'm like okay who else has the top engine to match that and i only see one woman like robert sally capiego could kellen taylor who's very gritty beater could laura thweet beater of course but they all run their best no 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 then yeah for sure Seidel's the, the number one if Kip Yago gets back in form, she's the only one they all run their best. I think maybe she could beat Seidel in the marathon just because of what she's done on the track. But Seidel proved at the Olympics, ugh, I mean, she's just, she can really run the marathon. She's sort of like the Paula Radcliffe of American marathoning. Like she's made for the marathon.
2: Well, I don't think it's fair to say that she was in the same quality. Well, maybe may have the same level as a Stephanie Bruce or whatever before that, but. Come on, let's let's be honest. She was always a step above. This was a former high school footlocker national champion, a former NCA champion. Her talent level was in, you know, the Flanagan level throughout her prep career and NCA career. She sort of forgot, gotten forgotten about because she struggled with some health and eating issues at the end of her college career. But you know, again, talent doesn't go away. She's doing amazing now. Um, and if they want to make the world's team, though, it's almost super hard for the women because, you know, assuming everybody takes their spot, the team right now is Seidel from the Olympics. She's on the team. And then Emma Bates was second in Chicago and Sarah Hall was third in Chicago. So you have to finish at least third in New York, Um, you know, assuming those women take their spots to Worlds.
1: Um, really, you have to finish second, Robert, because... Sarah Hall ran 2.24 in New York and no American woman's ever run 2.24 in New York. Oh, sorry, in Chicago. No American woman's ever run 2.24 in New York. So basically you have to be second and I don't think that's going to happen for anyone. But the interesting, the Seidel thing, I thought you both made very interesting points there because my question moving forward is, did Seidel's run in Sapporo? Is she now the Shalene Flanagan, the Des Linden of the 2020s in the US marathon scene? Because... For the 20, during the 2010s, if one of those two was in the race, you pretty pretty much locked those. They're going to be the top American, you know, unless they're racing each other. But if you show up to Boston or New York or one race like that, I was pretty confident, okay, they're a cut above everyone else. And it's going to be curious is Molly Seidel now that person in the 2020s? Or, you know, will the rest of the pack come back and catch up to her? And you've got an opportunity because a lot of the top contenders. To try to catch up to her are running this race, so that's something I am going to be watching for in this race and moving forward is whether she can be the Flanagan or Des of the twenty twenties.
2: Well, I think it's really up to her. Does she stay consistent at this level? These other women, I don't think their their highest level is equal to Seidel's. It's just like Jordan to say if say running two twenty 220 high, two twenty one flat, not very many American women are capable of that. So, you know, if Seidel starts to if she falls off her high standard it's possible, but I don't think these other women are going to rise up. I don't think they're going to rise up to Olympic bronze level level type performances. One thing I want to go on record here is no one's talked about this is could we see the course record of New York fall? I mean, it's pretty weak. I know it's a hilly course, but it's about two minutes. The New York course, if you actually look at the hills, I think most people think, okay, it's about two minutes. If you ran it for time with a rabbit, which never happens, obviously, it's only about two minutes slower than a flat course. Right, John Kellogg? New York City marathon course compared to a flat Chicago type course about two minutes slower. So the course record is two twenty two thirty one. I mean that's more than eight minutes off the world record. So to me, you know the the men's course record is what two oh five flat something like that, John. Basically,
1: it's two oh five oh six.
2: Yeah. So that's only three and a half minutes off the world record. So. You know, even less than that. So if you had three and a half minutes to 214, this course record should be 217, 218. I certainly think it should be under 220. Robert, come
0: on. The course record should be 217, 217. or 218 in Chicago, in New York.
1: Come on, Robert. Yeah, no one's running 217 in New York for 20 years.
2: If you did the math, if you put Coast guy on this course on her on her top day, I think she could break 218. Maybe the hills. She gets a little bit tired. She's running alone. Give her male pacemakers, definitely. But I, I think that a woman is certainly capable of breaking two twenty. I think that we will see that soon in New York. I think they need to up the the purse for that. It's a fifty thousand dollars bonus. Are you kidding? Make it a quarter million. If you put the course record bonus at a quarter million, and we had the and we have the weather that we have for this weekend, which is like fifty degrees and limited winds it would be go under 220.
1: I don't yeah I don't I think that's fairly that's that's not insane. And I think look, to get the cross record, they someone needs to be committed to go for it. Like Mary Katani, so we've seen the last two years actually, 2018 and 2019, the course record almost went down. As you said, Robert, it's two twenty two thirty one by Margaret Akayo from 2003. Katani ran 228 2 sorry, 222 48. In 2018 and that was with a huge negative split if she had just run even a relatively normal first half she would have destroyed the course record and then in 2019 jocelyn jip missed it by seven seconds so i'm very confident katani could have broken the course record if she had really gone for it in a couple of those years in the 2010s when she won i think jeb cheer could probably break it if she really decides to go for it but that's the question if you want to break the course record in new york you need to make a concerted effort to say I'm going off to the course record I'm going to try to do it. Because otherwise, it'll things will go, go slow and then the second half is usually tough. Katani obviously disproved that kind of in 2018. But yeah, if, if you have a couple studs going for the course record, I think it will go down. And Sunday's a good opportunity for it, like you said, with perfect weather.
2: I mean, it makes no sense. The, the course record is 18 years old. We have super shoes, which are worth at least two minutes. So... <laughs> It's amazing that this record, I mean, she ran a great 222 in 2003 on New York. I mean, that was a really good time back then. And that was actually her PR when she ran it. So and it ended up being her lifetime PB. So just throwing it out there, we should see this course record go down soon.
0: Okay, let's say this is a course record type run, which I don't expect. But let's say it is from the gun. They just go 222 pace. Do you think Molly Seidel can stay up in that type of race? Like, do you think she's a s- essentially not New York 220 marathoner now these days?
1: That's a good question. I don't think she, w- well, John Green, her coach, I talked to him yesterday. He said she'd stick her nose in it. That's the plan. She's not coming here, you know, just for an appearance check. Like he's like, look, she's taking it seriously. She's a great racer. She wants to go for it. But look, if someone tries to if someone goes out and tries to run 220 in New York, do I think she can handle hang with that? Or should she? No, I think she should hang back. Uh but I do think on a flat course, she could probably run 222 right now.
2: The answer is most definitely I think she could hang there, certainly for the first half. Let's remember, folks. Amy Craig ran 221 42. Admittedly, she won a a, a bronze medal at Worlds. So I guess she was close to the level of Seidel, but uh, I think Seidel's at least that good. So, um, but it, it's, it, it's an interesting question, but we've been talking a lot about New York. We're going to even have more info. Actually, when we talk to the runners tomorrow in person in New York city, so we'll be writing about that. We can break that down in more depth on the Friday 15 bonus podcast. If you want to listen to that, go to let's run.com slash subscribe. Hey, just check it out for a month. You'll save 20% when you buy some shoes. It's a great deal. I want to turn to a few other things.
0: Robert, before you turn away from New York, I want to say one thing about the history. You guys were talking about Frank Shorter in the 1972 Olympics. The crazy thing, like New York was like this little race in Central Park then. I mean, it started in 1970. And then they got me looking at the winners in New York and like Bill Rogers, you know, he won four New Yorks, but that was like 1976 to 1979. Then you had Alberto Salazar three straight years. I swear. I watched the New York city marathon as a kid. Was there any way I I want someone to know some old timer was like, when was New York? Like actually a big deal. Like when was it on ABC? I swear it was on ABC live and I watched it in Texas. If anyone knows, please email me podcast at let's com. Or Ouija at let but I, I sort of wonder like when bill rogers was winning this thing was was it actually a big deal or like we just make it a big deal now because bill rogers is the name and he was winning the boston marathon as well
2: yes it was a big deal Freight Labo was a great salesman he was a great marketing thing it was a national tv the marathon was was exploding the popularity it was a huge deal yes
0: but in what year? 1976, Bill Rogers' first win, you think it was on national TV? The sixth year of the Boston, seventh year of the New York City Marathon?
2: Race historians, please email the show, pod at let'srun.com.
0: We went and looked this up. The first year the race was broadcast on national TV, ABC, was 1981. The men's winner, Alberto Salazar. The winner the next year, Alberto Salazar. So, hey, it proves it. Alberto Salazar did inspire us as kids. Thank you, Alberto. Women's winner in 81, Allison Rowe. Not sure we saw that one. But the next year, Gorda winning five in a row and nine total. All right, thanks for the little history update there.
1: One final thing on race history. I don't know how I came upon this, but yesterday I stumbled upon a thread. And it, may, it might be the greatest Let's Run thread I've ever read. It's certainly in the running. It was about the 2012 New York City Marathon. I wanted to see if you guys had any re- recollection of this. As you guys might remember, the 2012 New York City Marathon was somewhat controversially canceled due to Hurricane Sandy. And, you know, I think there were a lot of people in the Let's Run community who were upset about this. Mike Cassidy, friends of Let's, friend of Let's Run, wrote an editorial saying the race must go on. And on November 5th, 2012... Weldon Johnson started a thread saying, this is breaking news and sorry for not being able to put anything before now. I wasn't sure this was actually going to happen until I saw it. The pro version of the 2012 New York City Marathon is about to get underway. It's starting at 11.15 a.m. at Central Park. It will be the Central Park course used for the Olympic trials. I didn't think it would happen until I saw it, but the runners are on the starting line. And it was Robert and Weldon providing live updates of the greatest race that never happened, the 2012 Olympic... You guys got really into this. Like... Meb ended up out kicking Wilson Kip saying at the line, they both broke the course record. Like the detail you guys were giving arguably was better than you would give for a normal marathon. Like I really enjoyed reading this thread. Do you guys remember doing this?
2: I have zero recollection of it, John. I think this is early, early set Alzheimer's none. So it does sound like something I would do.
1: Well then.
0: Wow. Actually None. I started, when you were talking about this, I'm like, yeah, I think some guys ran and it started raining or something. I was like completely off base. And like when COVID first hit, I was going to make up like virtual races and kind of type about them. So maybe the thoughts there, I guess early onset doctors, please email, email me as well. Pod at let's run.com. I'm still in my forties. Great. I'm going to check out the thread.
1: It was really it was a really fun read. 18 pages, like people were getting into it. I think there were a couple of people like this this didn't happen. They canceled the race. This is just a lie. And I'm like, well, duh. But it was pretty awesome.
0: We're total purists though, because I remember being really pissed. Like, this is ridiculous for canceling the race. But the thing is, like the hurricane hit the week before. So then, all the media, I flew out from Texas, I was then in New York, and then they're, they're going about going to have the race. And then all of a sudden, like, I think three days before they're not having it. I'm like, come on, you should have canceled it a long time ago. I was like indignant. And my wife, meanwhile, I didn't know her at the time, but she's like, yeah, it was pretty bad. You know, I was in Staten Island helping people clean up. <laughs> You're on there bitching about some marathon not going on.
2: Uh, And let's run, like, visitor, let us – our hotel got canceled because all the people had to get hotels. So let's run visitor, like, let us stay in his apartment up in whatever's north of Central Park.
1: Well, I'm just glad that that we don't have hurricane conditions for this weekend's marathon. All right, that's plenty of New York talk. We'll have more for you on the Friday 15. But, Robert, you've got some other pressing issues that you'd like to get to, so enlighten us.
2: Well, before I get to the pressing issues, I would like to – issue an apology, formal apology to all SEC cross-country fans. On last week's Friday 15, John and I broke down the conference action in great detail. And sometimes I'll even listen to the podcast after the fact to see how we sounded or if we did a good job. And normally I'm entertained listening to the podcast because I have the memory of a goldfish, so it's kind of like listening to it for the first time. But I got about halfway through it, and I'm like, wait a minute, John, we forgot to talk about the SEC. So Arkansas women were only the third-highest-ranked team, but they got the job done for their ninth straight title. So hats off to them. But I want to talk about now about this world athletics rule. Because it's very easy as a journalist and as a fan to go to these events and constantly bitch and complain about stuff. And I do that a lot. I mean, every TV broadcast I watch, I always complain, think that I could do better. And I'm pretty sure that I could. But hey, and you know, my big gripe about New York City this year, again, is the start times. I've said time and time again, you need to have one elite race finish when the other elite race is at halfway. Now, maybe that would make for sparse crowds when the first elite race is finishing. I get that. At a minimum, it should end when the one race is at third, before the other race gets to 30K. And that generally means but they're not doing it this year. The men and women used to start 30 minutes apart. Now it's down to 25 and they're still starting the elite women first, not the elite men. I think they should start the elite men. if They're going to have that short of a gap because then the gap gets bigger. So instead of having a 25 minute gap, you'd have a 35 or 40 minute gap. Instead with a 25 minute gap and the men running 15 minutes faster, 10 to 15 minutes faster, you're going to have a 10 minute gap. The men are going to be basically at mile 24 when the women are finishing. It's going to make for a terrible uh, TV product. So executives, world athletics, Marathon majors, please do something about this. I don't understand. There must be some reason why the elite women can't start immediately after the hand cycles. It would be another 40 minutes ahead. Like, they start with the wheelchairs, then they wait 20 minutes, they start the hand cycles, start the elite women right with them. Maybe you're worried about, like, that time the Ethiopian got hit at the London Marathon by the wheelchair. P- put up a separate course for the women, for the wheelchairs to go wide so they don't hit each other. You've got to do that. Anyways... We go to these track events, though, and what do we do, John, at the Olympics? We're always complaining. Someone's getting disqualified for no reason. So they step on a line, you know, Kelly and Quigley, Ezekiel, Kimboy step on the line in the first half of a two-mile race in the men's, women's steeplechase. They're disqualified. Someone steps over the rail one time in an hour-long record run. They're disqualified. Uh, Francine Nianzaba at the Olympics this year supposedly stepped over the rail. We never saw it. Disqualified. World Athletics has changed the rule. They've now said that you can step on or over the line or the curb one time and not be disqualified. But that means one step. And it's not one step per race. It's one step per championship. So if you do it in the first round, you better not do it again. So I think this is an improvement. I'm happy that they've done this. I'm writing a column about it. It'll be out later today because we've been writing the same column complaining about this rule over and over and over for years on end. So Congratulations to World Athletics for changing this rule, even if it's not necessarily the way I would have changed it. What do you guys think about this?
1: It's definitely a step in the right direction. Kudos for them uh, taking action on this. And it's interesting. They said, this is the crazy thing to me. In the World Athletics story on this, they said, lane infringement rule changes had been on the agenda of the World Athletics Technical Committee since January 2018. So it took them almost four years to push this thing through. It's kind of crazy, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad they made this rule change. And we should note for lane races, you, you still can't take a step over the line in like, you know, a 200 or a 400, you can take one step on the line in that case. And that's it. The stepping over the line, that's only for, you know, races, not in lanes, but yeah, it's, it's a good step. My, my worry is though
0: that nice pun, John,
1: (sighs) totally unintended. My worry is it might not solve everything. I need to go through all of the historical issues and see how many times we seeing someone taking two steps or they take one step on the line and one step over. So I think we need to sort of see how it's introduced. And hopefully if this is still a big problem, world athletics will further change the rules. But I do think I commend them for making this change. It was necessary.
0: Yeah. Somebody needs to break down all the past ones. Like the Zapruder film. See what's going to happen. Speaking of the Zapruder film, Robert and I are from Dallas. Did you guys hear what happened in Dallas yesterday?
2: I did. Hundreds of QAnon supporters, which I don't even really know. I just know it's a bunch of mentally insane people, showed up at Dealey Plaza and were waiting for JFK to come back to life?
0: Yes. they they thought JFK JFK Jr., right? Yes. John, have you heard this?
1: I, I didn't realize there was any controversy over JFK. I thought JFK Jr. died in a plane crash and everyone just accepted that he was dead. Was that is there drama over this?
0: Yes, John. These people thought JFK Jr. had faked his death. I'm not sure why, to get out of the limelight. and was going to come back and appeal at Dealey Praza where his, his father was murdered and that he was going to announce that he was Donald Trump's vice presidential
1: candidate for 2024. God bless America. Good Lord. I can't believe all these people, they can vote, they can buy guns, like, and they're believing in this stuff. It's just insane. But, all right. what? what I thought you guys were going to talk about something different. Did You'll, he come? Did he show up? <laughs> <laughs> he was probably in, incognito in disguise, right? All right. One thing, I thought you guys were going to talk about this, though. So, you know how they have their, you know, there's this big, all these, like the white house has all this information about the Kennedy assassination. And eventually they're supposed to declassify this information and they were supposed to declassify it this year. And now that it was supposed to be released on December 15th, 2021. And now they're saying due to COVID they're delaying the release a year until 2022. I'm sorry. How does that make any sense? COVID happened. So now you have to delay the declassification of these records for an extra year, if you want a conspiracy theory, that's where you start. Why is the government covering this up still? It's been fi- almost 50 years since the assassination. No, it's been way more than 60. It's been almost 60 years since the assassination, and now they're going to delay it further. That's the real conspiracy.
2: All right, John, let's go back to the rules change. Get get the show back. With her. Okay. They've been considering this rule change since when? In 2018, did you say what month?
1: January 2018, which is before which is before the Q megeden. World Indoors.
2: World Indoors in 2018, in case you don't know what we're talking about, an entire heat of the men's 400 was disqualified for stepping on the line. So I thought maybe that's what inspired them. They'd already had the idea to do it. Because I realized we we were writing – well, 2016, I was writing editorials about it. In 2018, after the Armageddon rule, we said that they formally called the rules to be changed. But my complaint is I still don't like it with one step. They have these rules. It's like the only – it, there's an infraction and your only option is disqualification unless you want to ignore the rule. I think there should be like, just okay. Like I would like some discretion. Like if someone trips, if so, cause I'm worried someone's going to step on the rail and like hurt their ankle and then step over it and then have one step. So one's on the rail and the one step in the rail and then they're gone. And they won't let that go. So I'm like, if it's in the first half of a 10 K who cares? Just let it go. So I guess they don't want to have as corrupt as some of these organizations are and there's multinational. They're afraid that there's going to, they don't want to give leeway to officials. Whereas I think they should give leeway, but my article is going to be entitled world out of the athletic rule changes are a step in the right direction. But, and what I want almost more than these rule changes is transparency in the sense of John, you were in Tokyo with me. We had a number of disqualifications or non-disqualifications And they weren't telling us what was happening. Francine Niansaba qualifies for the final in the 5,000. She comes through the mix zone. She's in the mix zone. And it flashes up DQ on the board, on the results page. No one from World Athletics tells her she's DQ'd. There's no announcement. At a normally sporting event, when someone does something bad, the referee puts up the yellow card, the... NFL football flag throws a fan. Here, there was nothing announced. There was no flag, nothing flashed up on the board, potential disqualification. She's just disqualified without any notification that she might be disqualified. And we as journalists had to tell her that is wrong. So what I want to see moving forward is some formal thing that you know immediately or within a minute of the race finishing or three minutes of the race or five minutes maximum that there is that they are looking into this. And I've told John I think this should be a technical thing, like give all the coaches an iPad and they can raise, they can protest immediately or tell the runners if they think they were fouled, they have to notify them immediately of crossing finishing the line. We don't want things coming out after the fact, after they've already had these post-race interviews with Paul Chalimo and Rio, et cetera. That's ridiculous. So, one, I want it to be done in a more timely fashion. But, two, I want more transparency. When they do DQ someone, you've got to tell the journalist – but more importantly, the public. This is a sporting event meant to entertain the world. Tell them why this person was disqualified. Show them the video. When Isaiah Jewett was taken out from behind, he should have been placed in the final. Instead, they put Amos in the final and didn't tell us why. I repeatedly, John was trying to get me from having a nervous breakdown in the mix zone. I was repeatedly saying, I want to know why. Like, oh, we don't have the video. We can't show you. We're not not the rights holders to the video. I'm like, what do you mean? You're, the, you're putting on the Olympics. You have the rights to the video. It's called fair use. Show me what happened. They wouldn't do it. So this lack of transparency is a real problem. I want to see that change as well moving forward.
0: Agreed. Every race needs to be decided, I would say, three minutes, but within five minutes after the race. Now I guess it's a little bit different than like a soccer match where you have VAR because the game keeps, has to keep going. But in every other pro sport now – You have video review. It's decided right away. There's no reason traction be brought in the modern era and that fans should know. Otherwise, the broadcast goes off the air and like 48 minutes later, they decide to DQ someone. It's like so stupid. If it's that obscure, it shouldn't take 45 minutes. I think three minutes. Someone should have to protest. They some we have like one little official. They run over and do VAR or maybe they let the media vote. I'm pushing for media powers. What was I pushing for the media last week as well?
1: Picking the U.S. World Championship team, I think, right?
0: Yeah, I want power. Power corrupts, baby. Power corrupts.
1: Wait, I, well, I think your VAR idea is actually genius. If there's a, if there's some sort of infringement, you get whistled. as the athletes leaving the track. The athlete involved is told, "Hey, you've been disqualified. This is why." And they br- or you, you have been potentially disqualified. They bring them over to the side of the track. There's a monitor. There's an official who watches it they look is there a clear and obvious violation of the rules here that merits disqualification if so they show that they show it in the stadium this is the violation this is the dq and the, you know if it's a dq it's legitimate they are able to move on and the athlete goes through the mix zone and they know what's happened and if there's nothing that they can find that's egregious they say okay we're moving you know this is not a dq we move on i think that's a great solution
2: They should do it live. I'm convinced they're going back and watching these races with like overhead cameras after they're over looking for people stepping on the line, because I don't think that the flag's coming up necessarily as they're doing it, but this should be, have to be done live. Like if it's not called at the time done, it's over. Like, yes. you know, and then is it clear and obvious that this was a mistake or a foul or whatever like they do in the NFL? And if not, let it go.
0: And I'm sure they want to have some committee because don't like committees vote on this now, but you could have even like the five little judges. What happened to gymnastics judging? They used to, you know, renounce the score, like the score from the Chinese judge, the score from the Russian judge. You could have a vote and like, it's like green. They're not disqualified. Red, they're disqualified and it flashes on the board. And I don't know if it has to be unanimous or whatever it is. And they're disqualified or they're not. And we're done. Yeah. Thank you. We're all in agreement. World yeah. athletics. If you want a consultant. I'll fly out to Monaco, like, I don't know, $75,000. Thank you.
1: Weldon Johnson is going to take the job. Who, who's the refill? Walt Anderson in the NFL, head head replay official. You'll be the guy in New York during the games, and they'll send all the controversial calls to you, and you got to make the decisions.
0: I can do this anywhere, right? That was just a one-time one-off consulting fee. Yeah, but if you guys want to ping me in the middle of the night, I'll wake up immediately, run to the monitor, and judge
2: Okay, a few other things I would like to talk about. A lot of times when I wake up and my kid's eating breakfast, I'll grab the phone and look at Twitter to see if anything breaking news happened overnight. Drew Wurtenberg, the coach, pointed out, this is interesting to me. So the New Mexico women's cross-country team, they were ranked number one in the country. They went one through seven at their conference meet. Not only is it perfect, it's better than perfect. One through five is perfect. One through seven is amazing. And yet, John, they've lost, they've dropped down in the coaches' poll. They've gone from number one to number two nationally, which is interesting. But then on the regional poll, which is voted on by different coaches, or I think maybe one coach does the regional poll. I can't remember. Yes, one coach per
1: region does the regional poll. In
2: their own regional poll, they're number two. So I don't know if maybe the New Mexico coach, coach, no, because they dropped. They went from number one to number two. So... BYU is number one in their region, but BYU is ranked behind New Mexico in the national poll. So these polls make no sense. Logically, just going to point that out.
1: Well, it's also, I think it's kind of ridiculous. If you're number one in the polls and you perfectly score your conference meet, you shouldn't be moving down. Like that doesn't make any sense to me, but at the same time, BYU, New Mexico, Colorado, and NC state, they're all so close that I think you could put them in any order and you could be end up being right.
2: Well, you say you shouldn't move down, but if another team adds a new runner because they were injured, you know, are you are you? Is the point of the poll to reflect what you've done as, as a body of work for that year, or is the point of the poll to reflect who you think is going to win nationals? So, I, I mean, I I do see why it happened. I just don't see why the two polls are different.
1: I always kind of believed it was reflective of what you've done to that point in the season. So, like if you if you start the year at number one and you just win every like in college football if you're number 1 at the start of the year and you keep winning every game you should probably just stay at number 1. But that's just my kind of belief on it.
2: Another thing I found on Twitter, I don't even know this kid's name because it's written in a foreign language. But it looks like a young boy age 11. His name might be August Haile Hogan of the Netherlands. He's run a 34 44 10k which might be a world record. I'm looking on the 10,000 record listed on this website is 3718.6 under age.records.125mb.com. So it would destroy the world record. But what's disturbing me about this is, I mean, I guess, it, wh- why does this disturb me? I guess, are you guys shocked? Look at what he's wearing. Can you see that? Kids wearing cheaters. They're, they're giving 11-year-old cheater shoes? Cheater flies?
1: I mean, I wouldn't be, I, I guess I'm a little surprised they may come that small, but if you're going to be breaking a world record, it, does it surprise me you was wearing vapor flies? Not at all.
2: I bet when you're that small, the vapor flies, because it makes your legs so much longer than it would normally be. It's a huge percentage increase of your leg size. It's probably even more, more than like three or 4%, probably like
0: 10%. Okay, guys, there's some other stuff we can talk about, but as we all know, after the New York city marathon, We've got a lot more time to talk about random stuff. So we can discuss the USATF athlete of the year later. Aaron Rodgers vaccination status, though. I mean, this is probably the only week to do it, but we'll we'll pass that on that one. I guess we'll find out, John, this week. You got to be vaccinated, I think, to be in the media, right? At the New York City Marathon. Or does a negative test count?
1: I think you can do a negative test as well.
0: I was about to say, maybe we'll find out if Rojo, you know, some people on the boards claim he's anti-vax. If he doesn't show up, it means he lied about being vaccinated.
2: Anti-vax? I've been asking to get the third vaccine before Fauci even suggested the idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, Robert. And I'll give this credit. We're now talking about mixing and matching the vaccines uh, for booster shots. Robert was suggesting this idea back in like March or April. <laughs>
2: This is why you don't need a medical degree. The
0: other big thing coming out of New York well, there's no journalism award this year, and then also to my chagrin, I discovered the media we've been moved. The New York Roadrunners, for I don't know how long the last five years or so had the nicest temporary structure ever in the history of temporary structures. This thing costs, I guarantee it, hundreds of thousands of dollars to build every year. It's gone. The media has been booted. I'm not sure where we're going. I'm sure it'll be really nice. Newark always treats us well. But uh, I don't know. You think the new regime would like the media? I mean, they wouldn't be there without the media. It is kind of crazy. There'll be some changes because I, I don't I don't know many of the I don't know any of the higher ups, I think, at the marathon anymore. And that's I guess a credit to what was it? Rebuild NYRR, an Instagram account, sort of got this whole ball rolling. And when it was first linked to in Let's Run. It was kind of crazy, I thought, because some of the stuff was so trivial to me. I was like, okay, these people are just a little woke, too woke. And then some of the allegations, I'm like, well, if that's true. That's crazy serious and really bad. And I guess, you know, it was pretty serious, some of the stuff. So hopefully the next, there'll be another 50 years of the New
1: York City Marathon.
0: Bigger and better, right?
1: I'm not going to complain about our media setup until I've even, I haven't even seen it yet, but I don't think Walden
2: made it clear what was happening. They used to build like a temporary glass structure right next to the finish line. It was like amazing what they did. But before that there was a hotel kind of like a few blocks away, which is where we were. I mean, you know, you're just watching on TV screens. Does it, does it really matter where we are? It'd be nice to be close enough to the finish to get some in-person interviews.
1: I mean, Boston, they're, the hotel the, where they have the media center, it's not right on the finish line. They got, the athletes have to walk a little bit and you can still pretty much grab everyone. So I'm hoping that we can still talk to everyone that we want to uh, in New York. But looking forward to being there covering major marathons. It's one of the perks of this gig.
0: I'm excited too. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Wow. And the Friday 15. You know, this podcast was just bullshit. We bullshitted for over an hour about the New York City Marathon. The real insider info, which you can use on your betting. Hey, Fanduel is now legal in Connecticut. Are there just going to be any betting on the New York City Marathon? I wouldn't hold up my hopes, but hopefully so. I
1: don't know, but we will, yeah, this will be an in-person Friday, fifteen. Well, maybe we'll have to hit the bars in New York on Thursday night and see if we can get some insight through the use of uh, Truth Serum, aka you know, beer, alcohol, bourbon, whatever, whatever you poison. You think maybe we should, should I throw out that we can get a guest on Friday? You think we should try to corral someone for, for the from New York and get them on the podcast? Or is that over-delivering, over-promising?
0: Oh, wow, John, I didn't think about it in person Friday 15. I'm definitely going to New York Friday for the Friday 15. I wasn't sure what I was going to do because all the media stuff's in one day. I'm like, am I going to go back in Friday? If you want to be the guest on the Friday 15, email pod at let'srun.com. Or podcast, it yeah, was
1: Oh, I was thinking like an athlete or something, not a listener, but I guess if we want, yeah, we want no, an athlete. Could.
0: No, John, I'm, I'm assuming like every pro, uh, like Candier is listening right now, so he's <laughs> probably gonna listen on the plane. Hopefully, he's already over here, but if not, he's on the plane listening. said, oh, yeah, Friday 15, yes.
2: Well, we, we had Mab on back before we really even called it a podcast, but. We had track talk. We we had we felt Meb was not getting publicity, so we did like a, the week of the marathon when he won it that year. Like Meb's not washed up. We should have mom we feel bad for him. No one's paying attention to him. So it was a good it was a good luck charm. That is true. All right, everyone. I hope I to make my seven a.m. train tomorrow. See you guys at the eleven a.m. press conference. It's going to be fun. Till then, signing off.
0: If you're into New York you got to join the Supporters Club to get the Friday second bonus podcast we do every week where we will break down the latest from talking to all the pros in New York. And we shouldn't do this. Don't tell Rojo. But if you use code NYC50, you will save 50% off your first three months or even the yearly subscription where you get the free t-shirt. Do not tell Rojo. Limited time offer ends on Sunday. Whether you're really running New York this weekend or just running up and down the streets in New York like us. You gotta stay hydrated. And that means drink element. Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run for your free sample pack. I love this stuff. I will refund your $5 shipping if you don't like it. Six flavors for you to try from. It's electrolytes without the junk. Comes in super easy to consume packets. You just pop it in your water. No gluten. No sugar. This is just electrolytes. Paleo keto friendly, no dodgy ingredients, vegan friendly, it tastes great. I love it drink slash let's run link in the show notes.